who guide us through life and spare us from many difficulties. We pray that thou would be with us and teach us, even he that presents this morning, for we need thee every minute of the day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, as mentioned this morning, we're going to be covering spiritual gifts, learning to discern them. The scene was surreal. It looked like a bomb had exploded. Bodies were strewn haphazardly throughout the sanctuary. Some lay motionless on the ground. Others twitched spasmodically. A woman shrieked, I'm hot, I'm hot. In front of me, a girl was shaking violently. A boy standing in the aisle chopped his hands feverishly at some imaginary object. Next to him, a man whirled around and around in a circle. And all while, waves of sardonic laughter cascaded eerily throughout the sanctuary. A boy staggered drunkenly across the platform and collapsed at the feet of a man who called himself the Holy Ghost bartender. The bartender screamed, Get him, Jesus! Get him! Get him! Get him! Suddenly he spun around and commanded two muscle-bound men to rise. These men, he said, are my guardian angels. Then, as if on a cue, he moved deliberately in my direction. What happened next was best described by a charismatic pastor who was an eyewitness. I witnessed a stalking by a barroom bully. When the Holy Ghost bartender, who also refers to himself as the Holy Ghost hitman, Arrived at my seat, he began threatening me having thrown out, of having thrown me out of the sanctuary. I'm telling you right now, he hissed, you'll drop dead if you prohibit what God is doing. Dramatically, he gestured toward the crowd and warned them that those like me who would dare to question that what he was doing was of God had committed the unpardonable sin and would not be forgiven in this world or in the next. The following day, he crowed, the last time I had a confrontation like that was with a bunch of Mormons. You could see their spirit, you know, just a really religious, pharisaical spirit. That's what it is. Amen. And I smelt it, you know. I pan-smelled them religious devils from about a hundred yards. I could smell them blindfolded, man. You could see last night we meant business. He labelled his critics idiots and warned that they were about to experience either riot or revival. This is what is going on in the world today, and not in a minority. This is going on all over the United States, all over Europe, all over Australia, all over, I believe, South America as well, Argentina. The faith movement, the faith movement claims to be God-inspired in the latter day, that God is somehow reviving the church that has been dead for centuries. Manifestations of the Spirit and exercising of spiritual gifts in their midst are living proof that this, God, this movement is of God, they claim. This forum, the purpose of it is to expose some of these tricks of the trade that are being used and gimmicks that are deceiving not thousands, but hundreds of thousands and millions of people over the world. Brother Edmund, can I ask you to come here? It's going to be difficult for me to, 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 uh, to go back and forth. If you can just maybe grab a chair and, and, and uh, forward that for me. According to the Bible, or according to the, um, according to Holman's Bible Dictionary, spiritual gifts are skills and abilities which God gives through his Holy Spirit 
to all Christians, which equip Christians to serve God in the Christian community. That's the definition I believe we can all accept and believe. I have a chart here that actually goes through, which I won't just call spiritual gifts, but God's workings. Because there's a difference between God doing a miracle or performing some wonder and actually a spiritual gift endowed to a Christian. For example, you'll see in the books, as I'll list the, the different types of gifts, healing, you will see in Acts 3, 8, 9, 14, 19 and 28. And this is not even including the Gospels. I'm just looking through the church because this is what people profess to say that they're continuing the works of the early church. Languages are given in Acts chapter 2 and 10. Judgment, for example, Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead because of lying to the Holy Spirit is given in Acts 5 and another one in Acts 13. Miraculous deliverance in Acts 5, the apostles being delivered from prison and so forth. The Philippian jailer and so forth, Paul and Silas being delivered. Uh, miraculous deliverance. Earth tremors in Acts 4. Exorcism, casting out of demons and devils in Acts 8 and 16. Vision revealing God's will in Acts 10, 16, 18 and so forth. Prediction of the future in Acts 11 and 21. Teaching Acts 13 and 15. And raising from the dead Dorcas and uh, Eutychus in those chapters as you can see. Um, the gifts of the Spirit are different than God himself coming down and intervening in the affairs of humankind. Next slide, please. The gifts of the Spirit, we can see, what are they? We can see in the book of Corinthians, there are two blocks, really, of that list detailed um, the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. They're sort of the parallel chapters. You can see there's word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, discernment of spirits, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues. And these are sort of the, some of them are the, the supernatural gifts, if you will. In Romans 12, it seems to have more like natural gifts, where you talk about ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, ruling, showing compassion and mercy. Uh, and they're both gifts. They're both categories of gifts. One is if you want to uh, categorize them as supernatural, the other as, as uh, natural. Next. What is the meaning behind all these gifts and what is the purpose for it? It is not there to, to elevate oneself, to gather a following, to, to, to um, somehow spiritually revive the church. It's not a revival mechanism. It's a service mechanism which can act in revival. And um, the, the whole purpose of spiritual gifts is to edify the church. And the Apostle Paul, in the middle of chapter 12 and 14, where 14 devotes itself to speaking in tongues and prophesying, and uh, it, it actually, he actually interjects there and puts in the love chapter. And he says, the best gift to be desired is the gift of charity. Next. So, in order for us to, to live in this world without being swayed by the seducing spirits that are out there, we need to really, as in our previous series of Learn to Discern forums, we need to set, a, set, set out or outline a list of principles by which to discern what is going out there in the world. For example, we said already, a biblical test doesn't edify the church. Secondly, is it for the glory of God or does it elevate man? Thirdly, does it fit the character of God? Some of these manifestations 
Has it ever been described in the Bible as a characteristic of God? Um, uh, is it given by the Spirit or is it something that is learned? As you will see in, 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 in the speaking in tongues, as we'll cover that a bit later on. Um, is it staged and scheduled? You know, do you have a, a billing somewhere advertising, come and see God perform all these miracles? Was it ever like that in the Word of God? Or was it done in the normal course of life? Um, they're not necessarily supernatural. You don't always have to have a supernatural gift, what we call supernatural, uh, to, to say that it's actually a gift. Healing. Is the healing, for example, is it immediate? And is it verifiable? There are many um, assertions of miracles all over the world, but none has been documented. None has been actually confirmed by doctors who have actually seen these people at, at one stage and then uh, confirmed later on. I'm not saying none, sorry. The, the ones that are being claimed in these healing ministries, very few or none have been documented in such a manner. Tongues, first of all, um, we mentioned that they are not an unknown language, but a known language as described in the book of Acts, chapter 2. And they de described something like 15 different nations that were there present. They could hear them speak the wonderful works of God in their own language, glossolalia. Prophecy. Does it come to pass what they prophesy? The very fundamental test of the prophet in the Old Testament was, if it doesn't come to pass, he's a false prophet. Can't be any simpler, right? Um, and lastly, from a spiritual man, is this man's life reflect what he's saying and teaching? I want to quote to you a, a scripture in re reference to that. And this is a very important scripture for us to, to, to remember in general, whether it's teaching from the pulpit and in, in our ways of doctrine and so forth. In 2 Timothy 3.14 it says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing, knowing, whom thou hast learned them from. Very important. Who is it that's teaching you these things? Someone that cares for your soul or someone that, can, that cares for your pocket? Okay. There are different schools of thought on spiritual gifts. Throughout the ages, people have said uh, uh, gifts ceased in the early church. They were only gifts for the early church because they were therefore confirming the gospel, confirming Jesus Christ and so forth. But once we received the word of God, there was no need for spiritual gifts and therefore they ceased. The cessationists believe that. There's a continuationist that believe that gifts continue all the way through, through uh, the church history and are here with us today. Then there's the, what you call the end time restorationists who say, yep, they ceased and they uh, were dormant for a while and now because we are close to the coming of Christ, They've reappeared, and in powerful ways. So, we can see perhaps from the cessationist point of view, it says, chariot doesn't fail. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, they shall stop, so forth. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. People take this scripture and say, that's what it means. It's going to stop one day. They were only the signs of the apostles. This was a mark of an apostle if you had these certain spiritual gifts. And notice in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, it says, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience. And patience is not what we would normally consider to be a supernatural gift. We all believe we have some amount of patience. 
in all patience, in signs, in wonders and mighty deeds. And then also, not to completely um, eradicate miracles in our day, these believe that, yes, God does perform miracles, but he performs them, and we haven't been given certain gifts today that some of the apostles had. The continuationists, again, I said, were gifts of the early church. But what does history show? Let's look into what history shows. There's a, a document, and I'm not going to go through all of these, but I, there's about 15 or 16 different references in the, in the documents outside of the Bible. And I want to, to shed a bit of caution here because even though there are writings outside of the Bible, um, uh, they're not necessarily to be believed, but you can, you can know from them what was going through the minds of the people at the time and what they perhaps thought was right or thought was true, okay? So the Didache was somewhere written between somewhere 550 to 100 AD. It was otherwise known as the writings of the 12 apostles. Um, they mainly concentrated on the gifts of speaking, prophecy, uh, uh, speaking in tongues and so forth. And... Um, you can see here in, in this chapter 10, 7, it says all the prophets allow the prophets to give thanks as much as they wish. They believe they had prophets in the church in that time. Next slide. The, this attitude is revealed again later on which says, and you shall neither test nor judge any prophet who is speaking in the spirit for every sin will be forgiven but this one will not be. They considered a prophet to be speaking the divine word of God was such a serious thing that if you questioned them you'd be sinning greatly. However, they also believed that there could be some false prophets and there was a suspicion on some of the claims that were made. And not everyone who is speaking in the Spirit is a prophet. So they were somewhat cautious about that as well. The true test of a prophet, as mentioned earlier, in Deuteronomy 18.20 says, But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name. You're saying, God told me this. That's a serious thing. If, if you claim that God told you this in, the, in a prophetic sense, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. The penalty for such a sin was death. So it's a serious thing to say, God told me. You better be sure that God told you. And it wasn't the other spirit. Next. Another one here. Um, Therefore, choose for yourselves bishops and deacons who are worthy of the Lord, men who are unassuming and not greedy, who are true and who have been approved, for they are performing the service of prophets and teachers among you. Next. Um, you can see that even in the leadership, it was encouraged to have these exercise some of these gifts of prophecy. Clement of Rome was supposed to be, assumedly, the first bishop in Rome. He uh, also used, uh, encouraged the, the church to use these gifts for service in the church, service of his neighbours as his particular spiritual gifts uh, dictates. He also seems to be quoting 1 Corinthians 12 here when he says that we can't live without each other, we're members of the same body and we have to help each other out. Ignatius of Antioch lived at the turn of the century. Uh, he wrote to another bishop, Polycarp, who was assumedly the bishop of Smyrna and may have been the one that Jesus was speaking about, the angel at the church of Smyrna. 
Ignatius wrote to Polycarp saying, Ask for invisible things so that they may be made manifest in order that you may lack nothing and abound with all spiritual gifts. So they still had in their minds that, yes, there is this thing called spiritual gifts. And we're going to get to the extent of that. Uh, and another uh, position, he uh, sort of felt himself that he was a prophet. While I was among you, I cried out, I was speaking with a loud voice. And that was sort of the characteristic of the prophet, where the prophet would say, Thus saith the Lord. And that was sort of the, the, the sign of a prophet like John the Baptist or crying in the wilderness or Elijah, right? Next slide, please. The shepherd Hermas uh, realized that we have to test the spirits. And he said, By his life, you test the man. And we refer back to 2 Timothy 3.14, right? You, he, his life has to match his words. His walk has to match his talk. Next. Uh, let's keep going for the sake of time. I'm going to just go through there. Most of you um, have heard of Justin Martyr. Go back a bit. Most of you have heard of Justin Martyr, uh, who was a philosopher turned Christian. And he also believed that one receives a spirit of understanding, of counsel, of strength, of healing, of foreknowledge, and the fear of God. Next. Now, we come perhaps to the first case which I would equate to today's charismatic leaders. What I would say and agree with the author of Counterfeit Revival were counterfeit revival leaders. As a matter of fact, Montanus was um, deemed to be her a heretic in his time by others, at least we're looking back, because Montanus uh, believed that... Um, uh, Anyone that wanted to be saved had to come through him to confess their sins. His uh, female prophetesses divorced their husbands in order to become his partners in this, in this uh, uh, team effort. And on top of that, they, predict, they, they professed to have revealed the direct uh, revelation from God saying, I am the Father and the Son and the Paraclete. You shall not hear from me, but you have heard from Christ and so forth. They're, they're, they're prophesying what they believe is directly coming from God. Next slide. However, someone uh, by the name of Apollinarius writes about them and says Montanus's ecstasy, is, uh, his being filled with the God, resulted in unusual speech. He began to speak ecstatic and to speak and to talk strangely about Maximilla and her colleague so that they spoke madly and improperly and strangely like Montanus and the last passage says, because we did not receive their chattering prophets. Next slide. And we're going to go through. There's Celsus, who was a pagan that argued against Christianity, but he witnessed this raving and uh, uh, entirely unknown speech, which was, uh, he criticized the Christians for doing that. You remember in 1 Corinthians 14, when he says, Apostle Paul says, what would happen if an unbeliever came into your assembly and he saw you just talking in all these strange tongues? Don't, won't he think that you're mad? He said, it's better not to, to speak in tongues when you're together. It's better to speak and prophesy the word of God. Next. I'll keep on going through. Irenaeus had some uh, 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 thoughts on that too. Keep going. For the sake of time, you can see that there are several, um, and I think this is the last one, there are several people throughout the ages up to about the 3rd or 4th century that actually either talked about gifts or some minor traces of witnessing gifts in the early church. O Oregon, he was about 230, 40 uh, AD, he, in his time saying, we see only traces, and they sort of died down by the third century, end of the third century. So, the early church, 
church conclusion, and, and, and I, I obtained this by, from actually a Pentecostal, um, it was a PhD that he did in his seminary, who was a Pentecostal, and uh, I got this information from him. And even as, as biased as you may think it may have been, I didn't find a lot of teeth in there concerning uh, valid uh, examples of actual you know, miracles being occurring. What you see mostly of is these speaking gifts, prophecy, speaking in tongues, and uh, wisdom and so forth. But there were very few that I can remember that they talked about actual healings, or examples, should I say, of actual healings. So, the end-time restorationists, this is a third group, remember, they believe that the restoration of gifts uh, ushers in the return of Christ, they believe that there is end-time healing, end-time tongues, end-time prophets, and end-time charismatic unity. This is what they're heading for. They're heading for an ecumenical movement to unite all the religions of the world. They claim that they have super-apostles, and that term is not new. If you read in 2 Corinthians 11, I believe, when the Apostle Paul says uh, that, that I was not behind the chiefest apostles, the word there used is actually super-apostle if you translate it literally. Even during the time of Paul, there were those that felt that they were the, the super apostles. But the apostle Paul said, you know, I show my marks as a super apostle. All the, the beatings and the whippings and the lashings and, the, and, and the, the persecution that he had to undergo and survive. That was his marks of, a, of an apostle. So, we're talking about the end time restoration of tongues. Way back at the very first day and the turn of the 19th century, or the 20th century, 1900, in Topeka, Kansas, there was a man by the name of Charles Parham. And he laid hands on a, a, on a woman by the name of Agnes Osman, and she begins, begins to speak and write in Chinese. This is his claim, right? So she writes and speaks in Chinese. And so he had this vision now that, hey, this is how God is going to spread the gospel to the whole world. And you don't even have to learn the language. So he started training his disciples, one of which was the name of Alfred Gar, whom he sent to India. He went there and he tried to do this, this, what he called speaking in Indian, and the results were disastrous. He was completely devastated and he came back with his tail behind his legs, so to speak. Actually, he went to, to another country and started from basic principles of just preaching the gospel in his own language and in the learned language that he learned, should I say, and they, his, his results were far more uh, glorifying God. Students were, were told that they, we were told that students spoke in 21 unknown languages. Later on, this man, Charles Parham, actually supported the Ku Klux Klan. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you now this, this test. Is this man really spiritually endowed? Would God, would God support something like that where he would actually be a racist? He had, an, he had a disciple by the name of William Seymour who really was interested in his ability to speak in tongues, but Parham didn't allow him to attend his assembly because he was black. Well, this Seymour was so uh, obsessed with speaking in tongues, it is reported that he and seven others one day fell to the floor in ecstasy um, and this sort of revival started. And at his services, there came this Jenny Moore who begins all of a sudden to sing in Hebrew. Uh, on April 18, 1906, the LA Times had headlines about this 
phenomenon. And people from all over the place were coming to 314 or 312 Azusa Street in, 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 in Los Angeles to see these phenomena. And you know who came with them? All the charlatans, all the, all the pagans, all the, 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 those that wanted to get a following in their, in their own uh, segment of life. Not, not just the Christians. They wanted to take that back with them. What they saw was jerking, spasmodic jerking and, and treeing the devil. I guess that is uh, facing the devil face to face and get, getting him to run up a tree like a scared cat from a dog. Let me talk about Mark Gerth. He's not a, he's not a counterfeit uh, revivalist. But I spoke to him uh, because he, he, he told me about this last year or two years ago at camp. When he talked to me about... Um, before coming to the Apostolic Christian Church, he, he was involved with the Pentecostal Church. And he wanted to be baptized there. And before he was baptized, the, the, the leaders of the church said, you must speak in tongues if you're going to get baptized. And he said, I don't know how. How can I do that? And they said, well, you just start babbling. Just start babbling, saying anything, and it's going to happen. Well, you know what? It didn't happen. And he got very disappointed, and he, was con he concluded, this is all fake. And he walked out, and for long story short, he somehow uh, met with his wife, and she brought him to the Christian church. He asked me to freely share this. Uh, he has other experiences too. If you ever talk to him, he'll tell you all about them. Um, then you have the end-time restoration of healing. There was a man by the name of AAA, Asa Alonso Allen, between 1911 and 1970. He claimed that he could raise the dead. And he was a member of the Assemblies of God uh, Church, uh, his his um, leaders were so upset that they actually excommunicated him from the church because his, his claims were ludicrous. Um, Mrs. Williams was claimed to have lost 200 pounds during one of his service. <laughs> Must have been a long service, Edmund says. <laughs> but while, he was si while she was sitting in the benches, she just began to shrivel, according to Al Alonso, right? Um, he also claims that he could uh, put his hand in his pocket where he had $1 bills and uh, take out $20 bills. Um, let me just read you some of his, uh, some of his uh, claims here. Here we are. This is concerning... Concerning the, uh, the, the, the $1 bill, the $20 bill. What an exchange rate. Of course, some of you don't believe this. Listen, you old skeptic. You don't have to believe it because it doesn't happen to you. But it happened to me. I tell you why. I decreed a thing. God said, Thou shalt decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee. I believe I can command God to perform a miracle for you financially. When you do, God can turn dollar bills into twenties. You have to wonder whether there's something wrong with that man. Okay, next one. William Branham, he believed that an angel spoke to him in a cave in May 7, 1946. God has sent you a gift of healing, he heard. And all of a sudden he had vibrations in his left hand and he believed that with these vibrations in his left hand he could diagnose an illness and he'd be able to cure you with that left hand. But he could only cure you while the angel was present. If the angel wasn't present, he couldn't do it. 
Um, I'm sure that he used the, the excuse that, well, I couldn't cure you today because the angel wasn't present. 1963, he declared um, that he came in the spirit of Elijah. Paul Kane, another uh, counterfeit revivalist, says he was the greatest prophet in his life. He denied the Trinity. He required to, to rebaptize only in the name of Jesus. If you were to come to his church, you'd have to be rebaptized, all of, every one of you, in the name of Jesus because he didn't believe in the Trinity. Because you couldn't be baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit. He died in a head-on collision with a drunk and um, he also had followers after him. Next. Jack Coe. He claimed to have picked up people out of wheelchairs. He was endorsed by Oral Roberts. You know, Oral, who prayed that, told the nation that if you don't pray for me, that God delivers $10 million by Sunday, I'm a dead man. And guess what? They came through. They came through. His son, Richard Roberts, who is not the member in our church, his son, Richard Roberts, he came through, he had a $40 million debt, if I'm not mistaken, because of the legacy of his father in, in his uh, endeavours. He had no documentations of healings. He, he, he uh, threatened his opposers that God would kill them if you don't believe in me. He also said that if you visited a doctor or a hospital, you have taken the mark of the beast. Guess what happened? He contracted bulbar polio and was hospitalised. And then his followers said, no, God's going to deliver. We're going to pray for him and God's going to deliver him. Guess what happened? He died. Next. End time restoration of charismatic unity. There was a man by the name of David de Plessis in 1936 and some illiterate English uh, evangelist by the name of Wigglesworth prophesied about him and that really buttered him up. He thought, wow, he prophesied that I was going to carry the gospel to the world. I better go and do it. So off he went. He was obsessed by this prophecy. He was a delegate to the World uh, Council of Churches and at that meeting he was dubbed the name Mr. Pentecost because of his um, uh, beliefs, because of his, his professed gifts. He influenced a man by the name of Shakarian to start the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship International, uh, which is worldwide. You can see that this is in proportion. Um, he endorsed apartheid those of you who don't remember that, that's South African uh, discrimination, racial uh, separation. Uh, he sought denominational world unity and this was then the springboard for the charismatic movement. End time restoration of super prophets. There was a man by the name of Paul Cain and he, he said he went all over the world. He went to this place and he was looking for the prophet of the end time and he couldn't find him. And he went to that place and he's looking for the prophet of the end time and he couldn't find him. Then he came to California, Anaheim. And guess who he found? John Wimber. He is the head of the Association of Vineyard Churches. And John Wimber was the man that claimed that while he was having a ministry, that a man went flying across the stage, 30 feet, driven by the wind, slammed into a wall, and then he got converted. I don't, know, I don't know how people could fall for such a thing or believe such a thing. What were the witnesses doing? Paul Cain says, I have found the leader that before he dies is going to usher in the new move of God. By the way, the reason I bring the vineyard in is because some of our people have been fooled by them. They've actually put their arms around some of the vineyard group. 
because they could receive funding from them in, in order to propagate the gospel. But this vineyard group, as you can see, has spawned off many of the false leaders that are out there today. This, what they called this bartender, Ronald Howard Brown, was a member of that. And he left that church because of a, some disagreement, if I'm not mistaken. And he came to Toronto to bring what they called the Toronto Blessing. This airport church, this, this uh, rolling over and laughter and, and all kinds of shenanigans that were going on there. And are still going on there today. And you know what? We have been pulled into some of these things. That's why I'm bringing it up. It's not remote from us, it's near us, and we're getting fooled. Wimber in turn says of Cain, you know, um, in comes Cain, he says, this is the man that's going to be the prophet of the end times. And Cain says, sorry, Cain says to Wimber, this is the man that's going to be the prophet of the end times. And, uh, and, and Wimber in turn says, this is the man that is like the Apostle Paul. They're patting each other on the back. They're, 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 they're forming their own empire and in, do, and in doing so they're, they're deluding the masses. Cain says that no prophet or apostle that ever lived equaled the power of today's prophets. That is, to me, is almost blasphemous. Cain was accused of a relationship with a woman in Scandinavia so he stepped down from his ministry for 25 years because of it. He was dubbed by, I think, Wimber, as the, the Lord's eunuch. Next. End time hoaxes. There was a man by the name of Tom Stipe who got on the board of directors of the vineyard churches and when he saw what he saw, he had enough. He's, he's, he, he lost half of his church of 4,400 people because of the stuff that he was deceived into doing. He, this this uh, board of directors were pushing forward this end time fivefold ministry of apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists, ministry of musicians and lay people were promised star status. You see, this is like Hollywood where they'll promise you star status. You, you're going to get a billing at this show. You're going to get a billing at that show. You're going to be wonderful. You're going to make it. You're going to be successful. Notebooks filled with predictions and so forth. God told me. They had seminars and formulas on healing prayer. They were, Tom Stipe was so frustrated he returned back to his home church and he also said, time to get back to the basics. The charismatic movement was officially given the birth date on April 3rd, 1963. Uh, I'm not going to go through all this. Again, what we see here is just a continuation. You see, these are not isolated cases. These are people handing the torch to others and promoting their own business. All of these people that I've named have all had connections. And they've been sort of patting each other on the back and sort of trying to promote their business because if they don't, they're out of business. The first wave of, of, of the charismatic movement was believed to be an evidence, the evidence. If you didn't speak in tongues, you weren't born again. And then they realised people couldn't take that. That wasn't scriptural. I can't believe that. So then they sort of softened it and said, well, the second wave, tongues were just an evidence of being born again to, to, to draw the masses. Do these spiritual gifts meet our biblical test, what we have seen already? Do they edify the church? Do they bring glory to God and not to man? Certainly not the second one. Does it fit the character of God? Rolling over the stage, barking like dogs, roaring like lions, cackling like chickens, flapping your wings. Do they fit the God of the Bible? Is it staged? Definitely. There was a member in our church that, that left and started looking for greener pastures. 
And he went all over the place and he found himself in the church of Henry Hinn, the brother of Benny Hinn. And I think of Benny Hill when I think of Benny Hinn. And I'm serious because he's a mockery to God. He's a mockery to the Christian faith. When he says, stands on the stage and he says, my wife had a dream that Jesus was going to be on the stage tonight. He's going to be here tonight. I can, I, I'm saying he's going to be here. And what happened? He wasn't there. And they're packing the stadiums and they're packing the auditoriums with thousands and hundreds of thousands of people being deceived. And they're, they're taking out people too. They'd be deluded. Healing. He took his aunt to this auditorium, crippled with arthritis, took her there, wanted to get her healed, get rid of the problem, quick fix. Sadly disappointed. He went to work for Henry Hinn for four weeks, and Henry Hinn, who had six Cadillacs or limousines in his front yard and a mansion, uh, said, I don't have the money. After four weeks' work, he couldn't pay him. He went backstage, catching the slain in the spirit, so to speak. And he heard the, the talk and the corruption that was back there with the other ministers and so forth. It's a farce what is going on out there. And people are being deceived because they want something more. They want to be entertained. They want to be exhilarated. People, let's not fall for that. Can we get sweet and bitter water from the same fount? Let's think about it. A.A. Allen died a drunk. He had cirrhosis of the liver. He was caught on several occasions drinking and driving. Sexual immorality. Webb Wimber's revival started by, uh, he, he invited someone who he didn't even know, who came in that wanted to preach. And he wasn't, easy about, he wasn't too easy about this, but he let him preach anyway. And as the, 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 the service went on, people were rolling all over the floor and babbling and, and, and all kinds of stuff. It was later on determined that this person was a hypnotist who died of AIDS, homosexual. Greedy, a filthy lucre, Henry Hinn, Alan, Oral Roberts, enemies of the cross, Coe's widow, Coe's widow, after everything was said and done, after he died, the one that said, I believe that uh, you know, you're taking the mark of the beast if you go to hospital, Coe's widow said, uh, published the book and the book was a series of articles written by someone that had been in the movement and spoke everything against what Coe was professing and teaching. Uh, some of the quotes in these articles, these are a ruthless group of men with billions of dollars to fight with, they fleece the flock with swelling words and they're no better than bank embezzlers. Their own people saying these things. Next. False doctrine. Kuhlman, a woman that believed that she could, in the middle of a message, freeze for hours. And people thought, oh, wow. She said she had to divorce her, 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 her husband in order to get into the ministry. People were, in a church were very afraid of her, what the relationship she was having with this other evangelist and so forth. Um, Rodney Howard Brown, this bartender, says you go into this ministry, you don't pray. Don't pray. If you pray, you're going to break the mood. Just do what I tell you. Don't pray. Arnott, the man in Toronto, um, 
says, don't even question whether what we are doing is from God or not. It is a dangerous thing for you to question that. It is more dangerous for you to question that than to, to question the Word of God than because what you'll be doing is you'll be inhibiting the movement of God. Don't discern, he's saying. God is small and under our control. We can command him to do what we want. False gifts. God tried to evangelize, we said, in India, failed. Healing. The Jaggers said that physical immortality is now possible. We can do it. Coe taught using medicine as a mark of the beast, then he died in hospital. Prophecy, Benny Hinn, and I mentioned about him about the, uh, the stage. Tricks of the trade. If, if what I'm saying is, is true, if what I'm saying is true, how does it come to pass that you see all these people falling down and rolling around and laughing and this and that? There are, there are four things that, that uh, uh, factor into what happens when, when these uh, meetings take place. An altered state of consciousness, um, peer pressure, expectations, and suggestibility. Let's go to the first one. There was a man by the name of Anton Mesmer. He was a psychotherapy. He was dubbed the Wizard of Vienna. And uh, he caused laughter, jerking, and trances by gesturing. He would point to you and you would laugh. Or he would point to you and you'd jerk and so forth. Uh, he, he claimed to have a magnetic force emanating from his hands and uh, induced involuntary violent movements. There was a claim that he had healed a man, uh, an army officer by the name of Duhasse uh, of fever, of trembling and partial paralysis. And then later on he said he healed by magnets, using magnets. He changed from the finger to magnets. And then in 1775... He said, well, it's really an internal animal magnetism that's doing this because people are beginning to question him on all his uh, claims, right? Um, he wanted to teach this technique to German clergymen. So you see how he's trying to get it into and mix it in with religion. But others viewed this as mental manipulation. Next. James Braid was the man that said, he was an English doctor that says Mesmer's power was coming from the doctrine of suggestion. Via mental manipulation, he alters the patient's perspective and he can perform painless surgical procedures. He actually did that. I don't know if any doctors in the room uh, read any of the history, but he's, he claims that he could actually uh, perform painless procedures using this power of suggestion and, and hypnotism. He induced a sleep-like altered state of consciousness. He makes everyone responsive to suggestion. Braid called it hypnosis. It's common in Polynesia, ancient Greece and Rome, and cults use this today. So you see, they're just trying to duplicate or replicate what's in the cults today. Next. Next. <clears throat> um, altered state of consciousness. Dr. Charles Start coined this term. He um, said during deep hypnosis, this altered state is very, uh, you're very susceptible to it. Uh, you are aware of everything and nothing at the same time, and your mind goes absolutely quiet. You're out of time, out of space. This kind of, this kind of technique is used in singing one song over and over and over again until you lose touch of reality. Rick Joyner, uh, uh, one of these uh, the counterfeit revival leaders, said he sang one song for more than three hours. One song. And he sort of lulls you to a point where your mind can no longer resist. Similar te technique is used by Eastern gurus. 
you know, my brother gave me a, a tape called The Gods of the New Age, a videotape. And in there they're saying that Christianity is being permeated by Eastern mysticism. These gurus come from all over the, the world, mainly from India and Eastern countries. And on the tape they show actual uh, clips of people that are standing in a big warehouse and there's maybe five, ten feet apart and the, the, the drums are going on, the music is going on and they're just sitting there and they're just shaking. They're shaking, they're shaking and after maybe a half an hour they get into these violent uh, uh, body movements and they're, they're scratching themselves and they're, they're chopping the air and, they're, and they're, in about an hour's time they're on the ground and they're, they're yelling and screaming and they say at this point they've lost their mind. They've lost their mind. They, their mind goes completely blank. They have lost their mind. I've seen it with my own eyes on the videotape. Person in the altered state of consciousness often fears lo losing a grip on, on reality. Next. The, these counterfeit revivalists say, God offends the mind in order to reveal the heart. God offends your mind to reveal the heart. You don't, you're not supposed to think. They can't understand what God is doing in these meetings with the analytical mind. You can only understand it with your heart. Uh, Ronald Howard Brown prohibits anyone from praying. It breaks the mood. If your prayer had helped, he said, it would have helped you now. So now you get laughing. Do it. You can see the intimidation. You can see that weak minds will succumb to that. Now people on the lines, wait for me. Come and lay hands on you. Don't pray. Please don't pray. This is a command. The reason you didn't have the experience, because you didn't obey me. Guru Rajneesh says the goal is to create a new man, one who is happily They do it in their own religions. Dynamic meditation, unison chants, repetitive physical motions, hands chopping frantically, heads thrown back and forth, laughing, sobbing uncontrollably, mind-altering hyperventilation. You know when you hyperventilate, you, you go faint? You can't think too well, can you? Uh, Hindu gurus encourage to discover our higher self. I've mentioned the gods of the new age. The danger is here is not just of losing your mind, but by spiritual corruption, demon possession and insanity. The counterfeit revival is called this being drunk in the spirit. Does the spirit make us out of control? Uh, John Arnott said, the Holy Spirit is not a gentleman like people think. He can be violent to you. He admits that people are deeply frightened. And there's one event, uh, a man by the name of Campbell, whose wife was suddenly seized by God. He was so scared that he started screaming. For the first six months, Campbell said, I was so scared to go home with her at night. I'm not kidding, I'm not kidding. Um, they wanted to put him in a closet. The behavior of the Holy Spirit was so out of control that, as Campbell put it, we don't want to let him out of the back room. I know I'm talking absurdities here, but I just want to show you these are connected with the mainline churches out there where people are flocking to in the thousands. Then you have the um, peer pressure. Mark Twain, I, I, I know I'm a bit behind here, Mark Twain as a little boy experienced this at the fair when he wanted to be that man on the stage that was being led around by the hypnotist and he folded to every beck and command so that he could be the one that's on the stage. And he, he wasn't really hypnotized by this uh, hypnotist, but he did everything that, that, that this hypnotist wanted him to do, even to the point where he let the crowd put pins into his arm three, a third of the way. And he said that he did this, he endured the pain so that he wouldn't 
looked like he was dumb or stupid or, or things like that. And he said, I endured so much excruciating pain just so that I could be a part of it. Okay. Um, next, we're going to go, go to the, the next uh, uh, aspect. Crafted, carefully crafted services. The services that these people normally come up with uh, first started with testimonies. People in the Selected people in the crowd stand up and say, I was once blind. I was like you. I doubted the manifestations of God. But God brought me here. And look at me today and so forth. Graphic animated demonstrations of what happened. Then, the, the, then they have a time of teaching and the teacher would get up and says, when Saul was going to Damascus, he was uninitiated. But when Christ hit him, he became initiated. Which one do you want to be? Initiated or uninitiated? And we sort of like the emperor without, you know, the emperor's clothes. Well, I want to be the initiated one. And, and we sort of allow ourselves to be pressured into that position. The time of ministry. This is a time when people do their thing now. After this long, long time of testimonies and teaching and music, then it's time of ministry. Then they do their thing. People in the, in the crowd laugh, flap, roll over. They, they, they do everything because they see everybody else doing it and they think it's normal. Next slide. <coughs> Expectations, remember? Do you want to be great? Do you want to be a star for God? Do you want to be enlisted in Joel's end time army? Do you want to be invincible? This is the greatest revival of all times. I mean, this is salesmanship at its best. I remember when I was selling pots and pans, they, they were sell, telling me, uh, hold up the old pot first and the new pot. Which one would you rather have? Hmm? Next. Uh, I like that one. Come back. These are really evangelistic stories. They stretch the truth to the limit, to the time it breaks, like falsehood. The power of suggestion. Some people are more suggestible to others. One in 12 Americans is susceptible to creating memory out of thin air and then believing it. I remember that. Never happened. Um, this is what they call the grade 5 syndrome. Vivid visual imaginations. Grade fibers have. Grade fibers are very trusting. They desire to please. They accept contradictory experiences. They affiliate with new or unusual events. They relate experience to their own self-perception. You know, when you get Rodney Howard Brown saying, fill, 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 then everyone thinks, oh yeah, I've got to start filling. Um, John Arnott says, I know how to say more Lord in 50 languages. This is manipulation of the mind. And people accept that, right? Next. I don't even know if we can even understand the last one. Crowd dynamics. People in crowds are more influenced than singly. Used by stage hypnotists, politicians, and dictators. They all use the same... Uh, a jumping board, if you will, the crowd. In the sphere of movement, suggestion by imitation is common. Immoderate laughter readily spreads throughout a crowd. Yawning is contagious, right? Once epidemic suggestion co contaminates a movement, human beings can behave like beasts or idiots and be proud of it. Researcher Badwance uh, concludes that in the first place, a condition of mental relaxation is imposed upon the participants. Secondly, an emotional state is invariably aroused by approximation to the mysterious. Thirdly, there exists an expectation that remarkable things will happen. And so forth. And I'm not going to go through this. He's basically confirming that this is a, a, an MD confirming what I've just said. Next. Uh, does God expect believers to perform miracles healing at will? Is it there today? 
we wonder. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Apostle Paul was in Miletum with Trophimus. He had the ability, if he had the gift, which he did, because people came to him with handkerchiefs and they wanted to took, took the handkerchiefs from him and, 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 and um, put, put it on somebody else, right? Why did he leave Trophimus at Miletum sick if he could have healed him at will? These people saying, you can do this on command. Why was it that he said to Timothy, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for my stomach's sake and nine infirmities? Why didn't he heal Timothy right there and then so that he could be more effective in his ministry? Epaphroditus, I think this was, for he longed after you and was full of heaviness because he had heard that he had been sick. Why wasn't it done there? These modern day healers saying, oh, we can do it like that. And if you don't get healed, it's your fault. You don't have the faith. Next. Author's insight. And I want to um, underscore this. This is the author of the book that I got the most, much of my information from. And he says this. Be wary of excessive repetition or musical mantras that produce hyper-suggestibility. In addition, as noted by this Dr. Barry Liskey, despite the many benefits of worship choruses, we must acknowledge that they tend to reflect values of pop culture. We heard that last night. Pop culture that should not be bought into unquestioningly. Values that include instant gratification, intellectual impatience, ahistorical immediacy, and incessant novelty. Now, if you get two out of those meanings, you're doing fine. Used exclusively, choruses have real limitations. In general, Choruses lack intellectual rigor and fail to offer a mature exposition of biblical doctrine. What he's saying to you, be careful of some of the music you listen to and how often you listen to because it puts your mind to sleep. There's no rigor there. There's no challenge. There's nothing there that would make you think about what you're really here for. Next. Conclusion. Supernatural gifts seen as the time of the apostles to confirm the word of God. Although God does perform miracles of his own will, he does entrust his saints with gifts that will edify the body of Christ. And I'm not saying that, um, that um, God has removed all gifts. My opinion is that certain gifts were there for the early church and certain gifts are here for us today because we have the confirmed word. And um, Brother Dave Gerhardt gave me one of his studies and because he, he put it so well, I want to conclude with this, uh, his summary of this as well. And uh, the, qu the question which uh, he posed, are all gifts for today or did some cease at the end of the apostolic age? The word apostle occurs approximately 75 times in the New Testament in 19 of the 27 books. Because it refers to the office that died out when the apostles passed away, many exclude it from the list of gifts. It is believed that the apostolic gift was necessary only for the beginning of the church and that it ceased at the end of the apostolic age. In several ways, the apostles were unique. One, they had been with Jesus from the beginning. Two, they had a personal call from Christ. Three, they were witnesses of the resurrection. Four, they laid doctrinal foundation of the, of the church. Five, they laid the structural foundation of the church. Six, the church was built upon the foundation of the apostles and the uh, prophets. They had... Uh, sorry, six is they had power to work miracles. The purpose of this miraculous power was to authenticate the apostolic witness. 
And he gives scriptures, quotes here. They uh, will one day sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, and their names will be inscribed on 12 foundations of the New Jerusalem. The apostles were unique in these ways. No one of late... No one of a later generation could meet these qualifications. Thus, there could never be any such thing as apostolic successors. The office could not be repeated or transmitted. When the apostles died, the office of the apostleship died with them. Those who made false claim to this office were called liars in Revelations 2.2. Many today believe that when the apostles died, the signs, gifts uh, diminished dramatically or disappeared. Um, there are other scripture references in Mark chapter 16, in Hebrews chapter 2, that also support this, uh, this uh, uh, conclusion here. I'm sorry I had to get through it that quickly. There's, there's far more absurdity out there, which I don't want to, to, to uh, bore you with. But I will leave you with uh, maybe five minutes or so of questions, if you have any questions or comments. Brother Fred. No, not at all. Right. Exactly, and that's why at the beginning of the forum I was very clear, or tried to be very clear on the difference between spiritual gifts and God's working. We can, with a very childlike faith, as you said, lay our, our petitions before the Lord and He will hear us if He chooses to. If He chooses to heal, He will. If, he choose, if it's now the appointed time to take our loved ones away from us, He'll do that. And we are not to stop praying. James 5.17, I think, says, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Brother Bob, you have a question. Exactly. I wasn't even a minister. And I said, Sister, you know what? Scripture says, go to the elder and, and he will... No, 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 no. God said, you need to do that. And, I, and God did that for my benefit, not hers, because Oral Roberts and his henchmen were going through the city of Mansfield at that time. There you go. And I was persuaded to do it and she, because she said, you know, and, and we knew that she was going to leave the Mansfield congregation, go somewhere else, and this prayer needed to take place before that. She, I did. God honored her faith. And she wasn't in her new location more than two weeks. And she said, you know, I found an old man who had been, I don't know, a lawyer, who uh, is blind now, and I read to him every day. And then the Lord led her to someone else, and she did something. And, and, and her healing was to help others to take the focus off herself, and she was never depressed again. The happiest person a believer could be for the rest of her life. Excellent. Yeah. Example. We don't want in any way to diminish God's power today. 
right? We don't want to diminish that. That's not the, 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 the purpose of this forum. The purpose of this forum is to expose the, the lies that are out there and to replace them with the truths of the Bible so you don't get deceived, so you don't get confused. And God can do miracles and wonders and maybe you don't even know that, that he's done it. The very fact that you may have been spared in a, in a motor, motor car accident, the very fact that you may have been pricked by a, a venomous creature or something like that, you don't even know that and God spared you. Are there any, any other comments? Let me, how, how, do I, how do I frame this? Uh, when my son Jonathan was about seven years old, uh, he's, he's been deaf since he was two, we had uh, some people in the area, traveling through the area, called up and asked to stay with us. They're former members of our church. And I believe, if I recall right, they arrived sort of late. Jonathan was already sleeping. And we were sitting in the living room talking, and they said, Please wake up Jonathan and bring him down. We want to pray over him and lay our hands on him so he can hear. And we refused. Now, was that lack of faith? Maybe it was discernment. I, I'm, I'm not going to answer individual cases. Yeah, no, I'm not asking yeah. you to. I'm sort of posing yeah. that rhetoric. Yeah. But I, and I think discernment was the answer because we've, we felt very strongly that... Uh, uh, that wasn't uh, the right time, the right place. We've prayed many times for him, continue to do to this day. If the Lord wishes to, mm -hmm. to, to touch him and heal him, he will, if it's his will. But, uh, but uh, that wasn't, uh, in our view, uh, God-inspired. What moment. would have happened? Well, they say he's not healed because you don't have the faith. Then you start doubting your faith. Then you, you fall apart. You give nothing. Exactly. That's, see, what would have happened had you given it to them? Mm -hmm. And this happened, right? I know of cases where a, a person went in and actually said, let me pray over your children. And that, and, and nothing happened. And, and they were more distraught about the fact that they allowed themselves to do this. They were very fearful about this. And it could have undermined their faith. You see, discernment, right there. The Holy Spirit will tell you in that hour what you shall say. 